So we've been in a series on the first seven chapters of Leviticus titled Draw Near. God in his goodness has provided us a way to draw near to himself. And nowadays that is through faith in his son Jesus Christ. Prior to that it was through this sacrificial system. Uh, uh, that is outlined in the first seven chapters of Leviticus. Now, you might have been thinking, why are we studying an outdated, no longer uh, effective means for drawing near to the Lord? Why seven weeks on this? A couple of reasons. The first off is that the sacrificial system of Israel was always a foreshadowing of Jesus and what he would accomplish for us through his righteous life, his substitutionary death, and his victorious resurrection from the dead. And by the more we understand the Jewish sacrificial system, the more we will understand what Christ has done for us and the greater our appreciation of Jesus will grow. And so uh, my desire is that the result of this would be you are more enamored with God's good plan for you and Jesus's willingness to die to save you. So your understanding of salvation and your appreciation of your Savior would go up. In uh, Here's another reason that we've been studying uh, this system of offerings. It's because they identify for us five very uh, important categories of our spiritual lives. See, this, the uh, sacrifices are not things that humans thought up. People didn't say, oh, uh, I need a purification for my sins, and I'm going to come up with an offering uh, to bring that about. This is God. It started with God. God who cares about us. And wants us to draw near to him, sees our spiritual need, and provides a way for us to draw near. And so, he's the one who thinks humans need to be made right with me despite their sin. Burnt offering, right? Uh, fundamental to being a human is to understand that you're my servant and to dedicate your life to me. Uh, so, these five offerings that we've been studying identify very big uh, categories of the spiritual life and are important for us to think through. Because even though uh, the application has changed in light of the coming of Jesus Christ, these big spiritual needs that we have uh, are still in play. And it's important for us to understand them and think through how are we grappling with it today. Raise your hand if you actually have heard all of the sermons so far in this series. Raise your hand. Ooh, a couple of very diligent students. Good job. So for you, uh, this isn't going to be new teaching. We are reviewing today, but hopefully this will uh, help what you've been hearing gel. And then we're going to spend today predominantly on application and processing. Uh, we're going to we're bringing the, the series to a close and summarizing. So there have been five offerings we, uh, we're studying. 
That's what God provided his people. Five offerings. The first is the burnt offering. And the burnt offering is all about acceptance. Being accepted by God. Why would people fear that they weren't accepted by God? Well, because of our sin. All of us have sinned and our sin separates us from our God. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And that the wrath of God rests upon us because of our sin. And so, and and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And so, humans have a, a need to get right with God. We want to be accepted by our creator, but we have this problem of sin. How... How can we be accepted by God even though we are sinners? And so God in his mercy and his grace provided the Israelites a way to be accepted by him even though they were sinful. And that was by bringing a burnt offering. And the burnt offering was all about the principle of substitutionary atonement. The animal substitutes its life For your life. The blood of the animal is shed. On your behalf. And so we talked about the imagery of laying your. uh, Your hand on the head of the animal. Symbolizing that you were transferring your guilt. To the animal. And then you the offerer. Killed the animal. And it was a very visceral picture that. Your sin. Was causing death. But God in his mercy and grace. Uh, accepted the animal's life in your place. He didn't have to, right? But that was just because of God's mercy. And he wanted, he provided a way for people to live at, uh, right with him, even though they were sinful. So burnt offering, all about being accepted by God, despite the fact that you're a sinner, the principle of substitutionary atonement. The second offering... Uh, Notice again these icons. They're so simple and powerful. Uh, The second offering is the grain offering. And this is all about dedication. So when an Israelite wanted to declare, I accept the fact that I'm a servant of the Lord. I acknowledge that everything that I have that is good, including my very life, comes from God. I acknowledge him as my Lord. I'm okay with this covenant relationship in which I'm the servant and he's the master. The way you uh, declared that was through the grain offering. And that grain offering was your way of saying, I dedicate myself Completely to the service of the Lord. So dedication. That's the big word. The third offering. Is the peace offering. Which is all about. Your public witness. So what you're doing is. You are. um, Publicly testifying. To your joy in the Lord. The how grateful you are. That you are living. At peace with God. And all that comes from that. And the peace offering kind of crescendoed with you preparing from part of the animal that you brought. Because unlike any other sacrifice, a portion of the, of the animal's meat was given back to you to prepare a meal. And you did that in the tabernacle or temple courts and you invited everybody uh, to come and who was in the courts to come and join you. And 
as they were eating the meal that you had prepared, of course, they were going to ask, hey, so uh, what's the occasion? Why did you bring a peace offering? And you would then get to testify to the good thing that God had done for you or your general joy in the Lord. So it's all about, so a, a, a key aspect to our spiritual lives is our public witness, our proclaiming to uh, our neighbors the fact that God is good and he is good to me and I recommend him to you. So burnt offering, it's all about being accepted by God. The grain offering is all about dedicating yourself to the service of the Lord. The peace offering is all about your public uh, witness. Then there's the fourth offering, the purification offering. And the purification offering is all about finding cleansing for ongoing sin. So, we're accepted by God. Our sins are atoned for by the blood of the animal. Today, of course, through Jesus. But we have this problem of ongoing sin. We continue to sin. Now, praise God. His Holy Spirit indwells us and we make progress in our attempt to become like Jesus, but we still sin. What do we do with the ongoing sin? Because sin soils our soul, and sin damages our conscience and our identity. And so, God provided the purification offering. And and that was the way for the Israelites to be reminded that they could be cleansed from their sin. Like David Uh, who said, give me clean hands and a clean heart and restore the joy of your salvation to me. So we have a need to be cleansed from the contamination of our ongoing sin. Big spiritual category. The final uh, offering was the reparation offering. Pastor James talked about it last week. And the reparation offering is all about making it right. Taking responsibility for the damaging effect that our sin has on other people. It doesn't always, but but oftentimes our sin harms other people. And it robs them from a sense of wholeness. And so a big part of our spiritual life or health is us trying to make it right. Uh, Acknowledging that my sin hurts you. And I then need to be willing to spend time and energy and money, if necessary, to make you whole. Okay, so these, I hope what you hear is that in this, one of the things I hope you hear is that in this sacrificial system, God has identified five very important areas for our spiritual health. Application today looks different because of Jesus. Jesus has uh, fulfilled the law. One of the ways that I like to think about it makes sense to me as I think about uh, the Old Testament law is a beam of light. Jesus is a glass prism. And the Yes, the law carries over into the New Testament era, but it has been refracted in Jesus, and it looks very different to today. And so these spiritual needs that we have that God provided for in the Old Testament, we still have those spiritual needs, but how they are satisfied 
looks different because of the coming of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about that. Right? Uh, we still have the need to be accepted by God and we still have the problem of sin. And the principle of substitutionary atonement is still in effect today, but it's not an animal that, that takes our sin upon itself and dies, but it is rather the Son of God himself, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, uh, in the pre-Christ era, someone who wanted to be accepted by God would bring an animal and sacrifice it, and today we bring Jesus, <laughs> right? And we come to God and we say, God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner, deserving of death, but you have provided, in your mercy and grace, you have provided the sacrifice, your son Jesus went to the cross and willingly laid down his life for my sin. His blood uh, atoned for my sin. And so God has said, if you will put your faith in my son Jesus, then I will accept his death on your behalf. You won't have to die. Jesus died for you. And in fact, I will accept you. You can be made right with me. And there it is. this is an incredible satisfaction of this need to be accepted. It is a perfect sacrifice that doesn't have to be repeated. The Bible is very clear. Jesus died once for all. But yesterday, today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, uh, I, will, I, I will always be made right with God, be accepted by God, not because I'm good enough, but because Jesus has substituted his life for mine. He's paid the, my sin debt. One place this is talked about is in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. You might want to write this down on your sheet. I forgot to write it down. We read this, but now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Of course, the sacrificial system was very much part of the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. We have a responsibility. Our responsibility is to believe. It's to accept what Jesus Christ has done on the cross as payment for our sins and to relate to God based upon that. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And so, if you have your sermon notes, you'll see there a continuum. Um, hopefully, you have enough of a spiritual life that you desire a relationship with God, your creator. And hopefully, you're honest enough that you can admit that you are a sinner and that your sin has created a relational problem between you and God. 
Now the question is, how do, how do you go about getting accepted? On one hand is the path of good works, the path of I'm going to earn God's favor. He's going to accept me because my performance is stellar. And this is the impulse behind all other religions. It is. At some level, they're trying to win God's acceptance through their own performance. But the Bible tells us that is an an empty, uh, futile path. It will not make you right with God. You can't be good enough. The chasm is too uh, too distant. You One sin separates us from our holy God and we've all sinned. And so that is a path that we must abandon in favor of the path that God has provided. And it's the path of uh, trusting Christ's substitutionary atonement upon the cross as full, complete payment for our sins, all our sins. And, and so how are you relating to God? Here's the question, because it's a continuum. Where are you? Are you trying to relate to God through your performance, trying to earn his acceptance, or are you trusting fully in Christ's uh, work on the cross as the basis by which God accepts you? So I'm actually asking you to look at your papers. And if you don't want to mark it, then mark it at least in your mind. Where are you today? And where does God want you to be? I think the Bible is pretty clear on that. He wants you to trust 100% in Christ's death as the basis upon which he accepts you. And that's not just for most sins, it's for every sin. It's that sin that you feel guiltiest about. Christ's death is sufficient payment for that sin. And if you bring Christ to the table and put your faith in in Christ, God does accept that. And you stand righteous in his eyes. So where are you? Where do you want to be? And then, of course, how do I get from here to there? And, And... Wrestle with that. Ask God, how do, how do I get to where you want me to be in this very, very important area of the spiritual life? Now the grain offering. Grain offering is all about dedicating our lives to God's service. Acknowledging that He is the Lord and I'm his servant. He's my master. Everything that I have, I owe to his goodness. And he entrusts it to me to steward it, including my very life. And so, God, I am yours to direct and to use, even if it involves death itself. I am completely, 100%, your servant. So, where are we there? Well, in... in, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, you would bring a grain offering. Well, what are, we, what are we told today? In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul puts it this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. A few weeks ago, uh, I enjoyed hearing this um, college student who had recently come to faith in the Lord and was baptized. She said, you know, when I was being prepared to, to be baptized, I heard that you're supposed to live for God. And that was a revolutionary idea for me. What, I can't just go live and do what I want to do? I actually, I have to think about what would God want me to do and, and what is his will? And she said, I love it, but man, that was completely revolutionary to me. And as a Christian, we don't feel the freedom to just live life the way we want to live it and pursue our own agenda and goals. We say, God gave me my life. God has a, a, a will, a purpose. He's trying to accomplish things in earth, and he invites me into that. And so, God, how do you want me to spend my time and my energy? And what do you want me to make my priorities? And uh, who do you want me to hang out with and, and give love and attention to? So, on your sheet, you have living for self and living for God. And where on that continuum are you now? Where do you want to be? And how do you get from here to there? And ask God, God, what needs to change in my life very practically to move towards more towards the I am living for God? It might be just small shifts. It might, it might involve a significant shift. The third, the peace offering, all about public witness, right? All about public witness. God does not want you to be a private Christian. He wants you to be a public Christian. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Um, I'm going to share a story I suspect you're quite familiar with, and it's this story of someone who... Uh, was full of demons. Jesus casts out the demons. Uh, he, he's restored to his right mind, and he wants to hang out with Jesus, as you can imagine. <laughs> Jesus is the safe, safe place. I want to hang out with Jesus. And so we read in Mark chapter um, 5, verse 19. As, or 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he, Jesus, did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy, had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And Christians have seen that, not just as uh, an example, uh, not just as a, a historical occurrence, but an example. When God touches your life and blesses you and you find forgiveness and healing and restoration, don't keep that to yourself. Go tell your friends and your family and uh, publicly proclaim God's goodness to you. And so there on your sheets, uh, got a continuum here and it's 
on one hand, you've got, I, I keep my faith to myself. And on the other hand, you have, I tell other people about Jesus. One of the things I pointed out when we were preaching uh, the peace offering is how uh, this offering was not just for the extroverted Israelite man, right? It was for the every man. Uh, and God had provided a way for them to publicly proclaim God's goodness to them. They brought the animal, they prepared the meal, they invited people to share, and they were, of course, on the hot seat to explain, you know, why have you brought this peace offering? What has God done for you? So, it's important that we are public Christians. And take those risks. You know, when you face the fear of rejection and um, backlash, you know, you're embracing persecution, for the Lord. And he sees that. He's pleased with that. And he'll bless you for that. Purification. Purification. Christians sin. You're not, you know, we strive to be holy. We make every effort in the power of the Holy Spirit and we still sin and we will this side of heaven. And so what do you do with that? Well, I tell you what, don't don't stuff it, don't hide it, don't deny it, don't justify it, because it will wreak havoc on your spiritual health. It will damage your soul. It's not going to risk heaven as your ho home uh, if you are re um, relating to God based on your uh, faith in Christ's finished work on the cross, then you're Right in God's eyes in heaven is your destiny. But when you sin and do not confess that sin, um, it affects your identity. You begin to think of yourself as a sinful person. That's not healthy. God wants you to think of yourself as a, as a, uh, a saint who is being sanctified by the Spirit of God. It harms your conscience. Because when you sin and you don't confess the sin, you're reinforcing that sin's power in your life. Right? Um, and in addition to feeling uh, of fellowship with, the God, uh, with God that becomes plugged up and is not free. And so we need cleansing. And that's the wonderful promise of 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are forgiven based upon the uh, work of Christ on the cross, substitutionary atonement. But there's that cleansing that comes where we feel freed and we feel restored spiritually to continue on. It's like, you know, you kind of get spiritual... Uh, mud on you and you take a you take a shower and you're cleansed and you feel free, you feel free to move forward in victory and you know it's it's when we say God that was wrong well let's think about this really fast I sin again and I come to the Lord and I say God what I just did was wrong forgive me I hear the Holy Spirit whisper back Mike I love you, you're my son, and you are forgiven because of what Jesus did for you. Now go walk in, walk in forgiveness. I also 
am telling, reminding myself that is wrong. I don't want to do that. And it softens my conscience, right? The Bible talks about the danger of having a seared conscience. Uh, like a hot iron keeps hitting a, the same flesh and eventually you stop feeling it as much. You don't want that. And so confession is critical to remaining sensitive to the, the sin. And So, God, that is wrong. I don't want to do that. I don't want that in my life. Forgive me. Help me to, to not do that in the future. So there's another thing that happens is you're, in a sense, activating or inviting the Holy Spirit to help you in the struggle against sin. God, I don't want to do that again. Please help me to say no to that temptation in the future. And it keeps your conscience softened, and it also affects your identity. Because what you're saying when you say, God, that was wrong, forgive me, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. You're saying, that's not who I really am. Well, the person that I really am is the person who wants to obey Christ and do what is right. Confession is a very important, necessary, healthy part of our spiritual life. Practice it, practice it, practice it. And, uh, and don't gloss over your sin, don't hide your sin, don't ignore your sin. Um, don't be afraid to admit that you, you are in process. You're not processed. There is, there is none righteous, no, not one. What is it? I think it says in First uh, John one eight. If we say we have, claim we have no sin, uh, we lie, and the truth is not in us. Uh, don't. And so, if you understand, I'm a sinner who's being saved. Well, then you don't have to. You, you don't have to get so freaked out when you have to admit I blew it. <laughs> you can you can just admit it and be healed from it and move on. Okay. Uh, so, so where are you with this, um, on this continuum? On one hand, we can hide or justify our sin. On the other hand, we can confess our sin. So, take stock of yourself. Where are you right now? Where do you want to be and how do you get from here to there? And it might be that God is uh, prompting you convicting you about a very particular sin in your life that you've been hiding or justifying. It's not helping you. Bring it out into the light and let God deal with it. And the Bible says to confess our sins one to another that you may be healed. Um, it helps to tell another Christian. helps break the power of that sin in your life and that sin's, um, and that sin's damaging effect in your life. It helps you find freedom. And then finally is the reparation offering. Uh, and the reparation offering is all about taking responsibility for the damaging effect of, of our sin on other people. And being willing to go make it right. In Luke chapter 19, verses uh, 8 through 10, we read about Zacchaeus. The wee little man who climbed the, the, the sycamore tree. And Zacchaeus, when he puts his faith in Jesus Christ, he is immediately convicted of his need to repay those he has defrauded. And it's, it is viewed by Jesus, I would say Jesus views it as um, part of the salvation experience for Zacchaeus. In verse 8 we read, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. 
And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, remember he was a tax collector, I restore it fourfold. Now James reminded us last week, the law only required uh, a 20% penalty, right? You give back what you defrauded them plus 20%. Here he's saying 400%. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So, on your continuum, do you ignore how your sins hurt other people? Are you callous to that? Uh, or when you repent, do you, do, you only, do you stop at just saying, God, I'm sorry? Or do you do the hard work of trying to make it right? And thinking about how has my sin stolen wholeness from this other person? And you know what can I do within reason to make it right? And you might go to them and say, I'm sorry, how can I uh, make it up to you? And they might be unrealistic in what they ask. And it's not, not that you have to do everything they say, but... Within within reason, let's do it. And Jesus, I think based on last week's uh, offering, he, he does not think it's at all out of bounds for it to cost you money and time and energy. Massive spiritual concepts. How, do, uh, how am I accepted by God? How do I get right with God? How do I... Um, I need to dedicate my life completely to his service. My public testimony. Am I sharing the goodness of God with others and, and recommending him to them? Um, how do I handle ongoing sin in my life? What do I do when my sin, sin hits other, uh, harms other people? Uh, and these are just monster concepts of uh, spiritual life. And Christ provides for us the way. And the Holy Spirit can, can help us. So, hopefully, hopefully you, it's all making sense and you can see why we spent seven weeks looking at the Jewish sacrificial system because it has, in Christ, it has direct application to our spiritual life today and our, and our spiritual health. So, let's pray. Jesus Christ. We marvel at the fact that you willingly substituted your life for us. You knew that our sin, our rebellion, our callousness, our wickedness separated us from you, that we deserve death, but you knew that if we were to bear the punishment ourselves, it would crush us, it would be the end. And so you came out of your love for us and you took the punishment we couldn't bear and you bore it in your flesh on the cross. And so we say thank you. We marvel at you. We worship you. We love you. We offer ourselves to your service, which is our only reasonable response. God, thank you for your good plan that you had before the foundation of the world and that you... Uh, through the sacrificial system, you you laid a, a, an 
an understanding in in the hearts of your people so that they could see with uh, more clearly what Jesus was doing for us and we could respond in faith. So Lord, we celebrate our our savior and our salvation. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.